0: Well, welcome, everybody, to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John. I am the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out to the early service. So today we are kicking off... How's that look? Is that nice? Uh, Today we're kicking off our brand-new series. It started with three, and I, gotta be honest with you, I'm pumped, all right? It's the Christmas series. I'm all about Christmas. I think it's just the best thing ever in the entire world. I mean, I'm just obsessed with it. And people who are not... I question you as humans. I was just talking to my buddy over there, and I was like, you know, this particular Christmas song down there that was, was playing, I guess, it's not one of my favorites, it was like Frosty the Snowman or whatever, I think we did it as an opener, I apologize for saying that publicly. He's like, you know, I'm not really a fan of much Christmas music to begin with, and I go, you need to get right with Jesus, because Christmas music <laughs> is the best. I like, I have it on my phone, and I put it in my pocket, and I walk around the house just like emitting carols all day long, I'm not lying, it drives my wife crazy, But it's the best. I love the decorations. I love the trees. You know, I put mine up. I think the second week of November. Unlike Adam, who put his up in September. But you know, you don't want to spoil it too much. Um, I love the nostalgia of Christmas. You know, you see a particular decoration or you hear a song, and you're just transported back. I mean, at least for me, and it's always like childhood. And Christmas is a simpler time, and it's it's just it's wonderful. But I was thinking about the way that I think about Christmas and I think the way that perhaps all of us think about Christmas. And that picture of Christmas that we have really has nothing to do with the original Christmas at all. Sort of what we celebrate is is almost a hybrid, if you will, of the Bible story, Charles Dickens, and and Hallmark. And I wouldn't change it. Um, I wouldn't change it for anything. I think it's wonderful. I think it's great. But I think it's important as Christians for us to realize that what we celebrate as Westerners really looks nothing like the first Christmas at all. And so what I wanted to do over the course of this series is sort of peer back 2,000 years and take a look at, at what the first Christmas sort of looked like, because Christmas and Christianity really did start with three people, sort of Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting just for the next three weeks to take a look at this family unit? to find out what made them tick, and and, and to look at how this all started. So to kick off this series that started with three, I want to talk to you about Joseph. Now, here's the thing about Joseph. I can pretty much bet, I don't know for certain, but I can pretty much bet that very few of you have ever heard an entire sermon on Joseph. And at the Christmas party, I was asking people, I said, hey, have you Have you ever heard a a message on Joseph? And they were saying, well, actually, now that you're bringing it up, no, I haven't. Because we'll do sermons on the characters of Christmas. There's a sermon series for you. Talk about Mary. We'll talk about Jesus, the wise men, shepherds. That's a a great one. But we just sort of, it comes to Joseph, and we're kind of like, we don't talk about him. It's like that one family member. You're just kind of like, oh, we don't mention Uncle Frank at the Thanksgiving dinner. Why is that? You know, what's going on with Joseph? Why don't we focus, I mean, He's, he's in the manger, right? He's on the, he's on the Christmas cards. Why don't we talk about him? Well, the reason is just there's very little written on him. In fact, nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere in the Old Testament is there even a recorded word, not even like a he that we get from Joseph, right? Where there's, just, there's just maybe 10 verses that we're going to look at today. That's sort of the entirety of what we know about this man. So this is why pastors tend to skip over him. But, Two months ago, when I was thinking about what we're going to do for Christmas, I had this great idea of calling it three, or it started with three, and I wanted to talk about the families, and that meant you got to talk about Joseph. So I kind of, all right, here we go. So Monday, just a little behind the scenes, Monday, I sat down to begin doing some research, and I spent five hours just looking at the verses we're going to look at today. It's like eight verses. And by about 1 p.m., I was in what I would call a full-blown panic. Um, and I was like, this was a bad idea. This was, I have really painted myself into a corner. So I was like, you know what? Let's go to the gym. I, you know, vented to my buddy about this is going to be a nightmare. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. And then I went home. He's like, you'll be fine. I said, all right. I went home and then I prayed. Okay, let me just show you how the sausage is made here. So I, I got home and I prayed. And I literally, I was praying to God. And I said, look, God, I need help. Okay, I've committed to this and I need inspiration. I need an anointing. I need a, a directing. Whatever the word is, that's what I need right now from you because I just, I'm, I'm in some trouble here. And the strangest thing happened. As I was praying, and I like to pray audibly when nobody's around me, as I was praying, my prayer shifted from God to Jesus. And all of a sudden, I found myself saying, Dear Jesus, help me to understand your dad. And in that moment, it dawned on me for the first time that, and I think it's something we don't think about, but Joseph was Jesus' dad. Obviously not his, his, you know, his biological father. It was his adopted father. But Jesus would have looked at this man and called him Abba, Father. And I was thinking about Thanksgiving, which just passed. I was over in Naples for four days with my folks. And I was thinking about my dad. And I was like, I was thinking about, you know, who is he to me? What did I see in him as I grew up? How did his life and... His, you know, characteristics, how did that impact me and, and influence me? And I was thinking, you know, what did Jesus learn from Joseph? What did Jesus see in his dad, Abba? What, how, you know, what kind of ways did this man, Joseph, who we don't talk about a lot, what ways did Joseph impact the savior of this world? And more importantly, why did God, Yahweh, why did he choose Joseph? Because he chose him. Why did he choose Joseph to, to rear and raise and protect the coming Messiah? So today, I want to take a look at this guy. I'm going to take a look at Jesus' dad. I want us to look behind the scenes and find out a little bit more about this guy who we really don't know much about. So it starts off in Matthew 1.18. It says this, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Let's land on this for a couple of minutes. Let me talk about a couple of things. Number one, so it says that they are pledged to be married. And as Americans, we kind of think of that. We think, all right, well, they're they're, they're engaged. They're fiancé and and fiancé, and and they're going to get married at the wedding pretty soon because that's sort of how we think about it. Not exactly, right? Because as Americans, you get engaged, uh, depending on how long you've been dating for in the South, it's like a year, in the North, it's 15 years. But after that, you get get engaged, people in the room right now, and they're getting this, come on, you know. But you get engaged, and then, you know, you almost don't get married because planning a wedding is so brutal, but then you get married and you're good, okay? But back here, in first century Judaism, Mary and Joseph were already married. When it says pledged to be married, they were already husband and wife, but... They would not live together or come together, and you can imagine what that is, until the wedding feast. That would have sort of sealed off the entire deal. So they didn't live together, they were not intimate together, but they were husband and wife. And knowing that adds a certain level of complexity to this story. Because men in the room, all right, let's just deal with the men in the room because we're talking about Joseph. If your wife came to you and she said, hey, um, got a second? So I know we haven't come together yet. And I'm looking forward to that. I know we haven't come together yet. <laughs> but here's, um, so here's, here's some things. So God, um, the creator of the universe, uh, so he got me pregnant. And I know, wait, how? Through the Holy Spirit. So that's okay, though. So it's, we're going to be fine. So, I mean, that's a good thing we should be excited about. How would you feel? Remember when you think either your, life, you know, your wife is a lunatic or she's a liar, right? And, this is, and, and, and so skeptics, they hear this about the virgin birth and they go, come on. All right. Maybe you're even here today and you go, listen, the Jesus thing, I'm working on that. Okay, but don't ask me to believe the virgin birth. All right, somebody dragged me here. They promised me brunch afterwards. It's like it's two, you know, it's 2019. You on I went to college, okay? I got a bat, you know, I you do not expect me to believe this virgin birth thing, do you? Well, neither did Joseph. Okay, Joseph was not buying what Mary was selling. Take a look at what it says. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, this verse right here, which we kind of breeze right past, is actually one of the most telling verses about Joseph in the entire story. So it translates sort of the Greek word righteous into faithful to the law. And I think that's actually a really good translation for us. It would, it would have called him righteous in the Greek. But in Hebrew, the word that was used here, the word that they described Joseph as, is this word Sadiq. Siddiq. Now, Siddiq is an adjective, but Siddiq is a reputation that is given to someone who studies and learns and observes the law. And if you've been at this church any length of time, this law that I'm speaking about is the same law that the Pharisees were obsessed with. It is the same law that Jesus and Paul and quite frankly, all of the New Testament authors had to combat against their entire ministry, butting up against this law. This law is what Jesus's dad loved and studied and observed. And it made him a Sadiq. Also, being a Sadiq meant that he would, he would um, support the local synagogue, either financially or, or as a volunteer. He would observe food laws. He would go to Jerusalem multiple times a year to celebrate high holy days. Joseph was a good Jew. He wasn't perfect, okay? But everything that the Torah asked of him, everything that God asked of him, he would do. So, having this reputation, Sadiq, was a huge deal. He, he wasn't rich, we know that. He wasn't important, but he was a righteous man. This was a highly coveted reputation. People would kill for this. And now, his wife is pregnant. This woman that, that he had loved, this woman that he had prayed after and prayed for, this woman that he was waiting for, this woman that God supposedly had brought into his life, she is now knocked up. And this is a problem, right? This is the kind of thing in your life where he just sort of reaches out and and to God and kind of says, God, what are you doing? What is going on? What is happening? I've lived my life so well. I've done everything that you asked. How is this happening? And I think we've all sort of been there at some point in our life where it's just like, we're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to be the best Christian we can be or the best whatever you th- what you're trying to be. And, and the world comes crashing around you. And we're just like, God, what, what, what are you doing to us? How, why is this happening? When Joseph got this news, you have to understand he was crushed. Crushed. I mean, it was a mixture of emotions. He was sad. He was certainly embarrassed. He was angry. And now he's got a dilemma. He's got a major dilemma on his hands. And the dilemma is this. What's he going to do with Mary? I mean, he's a sadiq. He's got to be this righteous man. He is this righteous man. What is he going to do with this woman? So he does the only thing he knows what to do. He turns to the law of Moses, that thing that he studies and observes and he loves. And the law of Moses, this law, gives very specific instructions with what you are to do with a woman in this situation. And she is in a situation. Or one, she's either... An adulteress, she's cheated on him, or she's been raped. It's one of the two. Interestingly enough, all throughout Mary's life, all throughout Jesus' life, there was a rumor that was circulating the Mediterranean that she had been raped by a Roman soldier. That this virgin birth was a cover-up for this rape. So this was a real problem for them. They really thought this may have happened. So, So if she were raped, the law says that the rapist should be killed. If she had committed adultery, the law says that she and the man should be stoned to death. Now, if she did not confess, if she was not being forthright, if she couldn't bring any kind of corroborating evidence to back up the things that she was saying, and she was not confessing. I mean, she was sticking to the story that God, through the Holy Spirit, got her pregnant. Because she was not confessing, the law of Moses said that she would need to undergo what is called the ordeal of the bitter water. And this is wild. This is something right out of like the Salem witch trial. So according to the law, the bitter waters are, as far as I can understand from what I've read, it is a concoction of water and almost like floor sweepings. But it's, it's gotta be something else because the way this works is this. They would make, they would force the woman to drink the bitter water. And if she were telling the truth, she wouldn't die. But if she were lying, the, 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 the documents say, literally it says her thighs would explode. And theologians believe that when these ancient Jews used the word thighs, it was reference to, to the reproductive organs. Either way, it's not good. That's not a good thing, okay? And you need to realize that Joseph had the right, by law, to execute Mary to have her stoned, to force her to drink the bitter water. Quite frankly, he should have done that according to the law in order to protect his reputation as a sadiq. But in that moment, in the face of the law of Moses, the father of Jesus chose compassion. It says he would divorce her. So he decided that he would save her from stoning. He would save her from the bitter waters He would even save her from public ridicule by just divorcing her quietly. It's because he knew something. He knew that he himself had had sinned. And although the law demanded death, Joseph chose grace. This is perhaps one of the greatest details in the entire Christmas story, and we never talk about it. A decision for a sadiq to go against the law of Moses to decide to choose others over the law was unheard of. This would send shockwaves to the community. They would have talked about this. Quite frankly, I believe this is something that people would have talked about for years and years and years. And I believe Joseph's decision to choose grace over the law even influenced Jesus Christ, who one day would find himself at a well with a woman of shall we say, ill repute, who had had five husbands, who was living with a man currently, who society would love nothing more than to see this woman drink deep the bitter waters. But what did Jesus do? He looked at this woman and he offered her the living water and gave her a second chance. Jesus one day would be in the temple and the religious leaders of the law caught a woman in adultery, red-handed, dragged her up the temple steps into the temple yard, threw her at Jesus' feet and said, Rabbi, the law of Moses states that she should be stoned. What say you? And famously, Jesus looked at them and said, You who have no sin in your life, you cast the first stone. And they left. And Jesus bent down and lifted the woman up and said, Woman, where are your accusers? She says, They're gone. And then he said, I do not condemn you either. And it's very difficult for me to ignore this connection between Joseph's life and his son Jesus's ministry. So Joseph says, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to divorce her. I'm going to do it quietly. Scripture continues. But after he had considered this, that's a divorce, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Did you ever ask yourself what he was afraid of? Answer that in a second. Continues. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This is a fascinating section of scripture because what this shows us is that God really does have a plan for every single one of our lives. But he's not going to force that plan on us. See, God wanted Joseph and Mary to be married. There's a mouthful. He wanted them to be married. But he wasn't going to force it but there was something in the way. There was something that was holding Joseph back from saying yes to God. He was afraid of something. We know that Joseph was afraid of losing his reputation. He was afraid of saying yes to God because as a Sadiq, if he gets involved with Mary, his life is over. Life as he knows it is over. This coveted reputation that he has, this reputation that he earned, that is deserving of him, if he gets hooked up with Mary and Jesus, two people with sullied reputations, an adulterous woman and an illegitimate child, it's over. It's done. Life as he knows it is over. What we see here is a battle of the wills. God's will versus man's will. Take a look at what happened. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. This is an amazing moment of submission. What we see here is before the throne of God, Joseph saying, Lord, this is not what I had signed up for. This, if, I, if, I, if I do what you're asking me to do, this is going to change my life forever. This is going to put a target on my back, perhaps for the rest of my life. But not my will, Lord. Let your will be done. And in this moment, this decision to submit his will to God changed the world forever. Forever. And that Christmas, Joseph did lose his reputation, but he gained an identity, the father of Jesus Christ. See, Joseph knew something. He knew the importance of putting faith into action. He understood that it's one thing to say you believe in God. It's one thing to say you read the scriptures and even be able to you know, quote the scriptures. But are you willing to put your love into action? Are you willing to, to say yes to God's plans even when you don't understand them? Are you willing to say yes to God's plans for your life, even when they go in the opposite direction of what you thought your plans were gonna look like? Are you willing to follow God wherever he leads? Once Jesus was finally born, things got dangerous. And the angel of the Lord appeared again to Joseph. We read, get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him, continues. So he got up. He took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. No questions asked. He just responded in faith. And I don't think we think about this, but this was a major, major sacrifice for this family and for Joseph. Because Joseph was sacrificing economic security, financial security. He was leaving behind a household income as a carpenter, a profession, a vocation that was probably built up generation after generation after generation. He was leaving that behind. He was sacrificing his hometown. He was sacrificing his comfort zone. He was sacrificing his safety net of family members. All in faith. All in an effort to escape Jerusalem, to escape Bethlehem, to escape Israel, to go to Egypt to protect his son, the coming Messiah. James, who is a New Testament author, He's got a line that I think perfectly captures sort of the essence of what we see in the life of Joseph. Here's what James says. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? See, Joseph as a Siddiq was a man who was famous for his faith. But he knew that unless he sort of put his head knowledge in God into action, it was worthless. It really, didn't, it, didn't, it didn't mean much. And so he showed his faith in God when he was compassionate to Mary, when he chose others over the law, when he chose grace over the law. He proved his faith when he submitted his will to God's will saying that he would marry Mary, saying that he would adopt this child who was to be named Jesus. And he proved his faith in God when he packed up everything that he had, when he left everything that he knew and he ventured a thousand miles away into a foreign country named Egypt. Now, I don't know this for certain. But I have to believe that when James wrote these words, he had to have been thinking of Joseph, who, if you don't know, was his dad also. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? So the New Testament amazingly doesn't record a single word of Joseph's, but it's clear that his actions spoke volumes. His actions, the way that he lived his life as a father, I firmly believed influenced our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, the first practical that I have for you today is I would challenge you to leave a life of a legacy of faith. Leave a legacy of faith. Parents in the room, grandparents in the room, aunts, uncles, you know what? Everybody, just adults. How about that? What are your actions? showing the next generation about their God. Are you living a life of bold faith? Are you living a life that shows your children and children the the importance of loving other people? Luke captures an amazing scene, if you will, of something in the life of the teenage Jesus, a time that we don't have much about. But he says something amazing. He says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And what this verse shows us in the context of where it's found is that Jesus was watching his parents and he was learning and he was growing. And this just lets us know that our kids are watching us too. So what are we teaching them? Because they're going to learn. And you have the opportunity, you have the chance, you have the ability to give your kids and the kids around us the greatest gift there ever is, faith in Jesus Christ. Secondly, my hope this Christmas season is that you would begin to understand that God's risks always have rewards. So when God asked Joseph to do what he did, that was a massive, massive risk with real consequences. But it ended up being the biggest blessing in Joseph's life and it literally changed the world as we know it. So my question to every single one of you today is this. Is God leading you to do something you're afraid of? And I understand this is uh, improper grammar, okay, but go with me. If I were to say it right, it would look weird. Okay, is God leading you to do something of which you are afraid Anyway, okay right exactly and we're like what's wrong with that guy okay is God leading you to do something that you're afraid of is God currently pushing you outside of your comfort zone leading you and calling you to make a decision to do something to follow a plan that's making you a little nervous that you're a little nervous about or a little afraid to say yes to are you perhaps somebody in this room who is this close like this close to saying yes to Jesus Christ, to putting your faith into Jesus, but you're afraid of what your family might say. You're afraid of what your culture might say. You're afraid of what your friends might say if you were to say publicly, I'm a Christian. Jesus came to this earth to die for my sins, and I've been made right with God because of him. Are you afraid? Because that is a scary thing, but Here's what I know from the story of Joseph. That God does have a plan for every single one of our lives, and he is not going to force that onto any single one of us. But you can trust him, and you just need to leave the consequences up to him, and he will work all of that out. Do not worry. So this week, as we kind of reflect on Joseph, this amazing man who have fortunately has not gotten enough airtime. Remember, it started with a father who put his faith into action, who influenced the Messiah of this world, who we can learn from as parents, grandparents, friends, and Christians. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I wanna thank you for the opportunity that we could come together today and begin to celebrate this amazing season of Christmas, God. It's a magical time of year, and I mean that. And God, you saw in your wisdom that not much was recorded about this man, Joseph. But what we do have speaks volumes. What we can see in the life of your son, Jesus, and his son, Jesus, is that you put a great man of faith in charge of the Messiah. A man who was willing to submit his will to yours. A man who was willing to take risks on your behalf, God. And I am so thankful that he was able to keep Jesus safe until he was ready to publicly proclaim why he was here. To save each and every single one of us from our sins. This Christmas season, Lord, I just pray that you would meet every single one of us out of our needs. Help us, lead us, and guide us. And in your name, Jesus, we pray.